Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Why don't you grab a seat? Thanks to the worship team for leading us so beautifully. They uh, get paid a lot more playing pubs and uh, doing covers of Brown Eyed Girl than they would uh, doing the worship here on a Sunday, but we appreciate it. So we're in the middle of doing our, um, going through our vision as a church, and this morning I'm um, sharing on the first part of that vision, which is uh, seeing the kingdom of God come within us, and uh, what that means, uh, and what it means to have the kingdom of God come inside of you. And what this means, in short, is a transformed life. Now, I am putting myself out there today in that I'm going to be confessing a few things because I think it's important when we talk about God going to work in us that I'm open that God is going to work in me. And I'm not sharing anything today from a point of superiority and I've got it all together. I do not. (laughs) I am a work in progress. Can I see a show of hands if anyone else is a work in progress? Absolutely. So if you're feeling nervous about this message today, about what it means for God to go to work inside of you, you're in good company. Look around. We're all a work in progress. Some may be more than others, but uh, no, that's a joke, by the way. It's all the same. All the same. Um, So I'm going to start by uh, sharing a story of when I was surprised by my own behavior. So a a few years ago, um, actually quite a few years ago now, because I've been married for 15 years this year. Yeah, I know. You're clapping me like it's an achievement, but I married Sky. It's a piece of cake. Anyway, when we were first married, we had this little place with a um, little tiny yard, and we had a veggie garden. We built a veggie garden there. And uh, one of the things that we did was um, we planted a passion fruit vine, because I really like passion fruits. So we put up a trellis on the back fence. And, you know, Sky probably had romantic notions of us doing these little projects around the place when we first got married, um, that it would be a nice bonding experience, something that would bring us together. Anyway, we were building this trellis and things were going pretty well. And then we got to the last nail to fix the trellis to the fence and it was sort of at a weird angle. Um, And I thought rather than sort of get the angle right, because the the nail sort of kept slipping when I was going to tap it in, I thought I'm just going to hold it and then I'm going to swing that hammer so hard and so fast that as I let go, it won't matter, and I'll whack it straight in. I did not. Um, I hit my finger uh, really hard, and um, some of the romance and um, the occasion started to sap away from that activity that Sky and I were doing together. Um, And I thought, no worries, I just wasn't... The problem here is because I didn't swing it hard and fast enough, so I'm going to try it again. (laughs) So I did, and I got the same result. At this point, Sky said, do you, do you want to just, you know, maybe just have a break for a little bit? But I was not going to be beaten by this nail. So I thought, no, that second time wasn't fast or hard enough either. So I'm going to try it again, which I did. And for the same result, except this time when I hit my finger, a whole bunch of sounds and words came out of my mouth that I didn't know were in there. Uh, And then, to top it all off, I grabbed the hammer, well, the hammer was in my hand, and I threw it as hard as I could at the fence and made a massive hole in the fence. 
yeah, that, that, that silence there is what followed. I turned around and worst of all, Sky didn't say anything. She just stared at me in shock and just went into the house. I would have preferred if she'd thrown something at me or said something to me, but she didn't. It was just shock and went into the house. And the reason being is because we were both shocked because those words and that throwing of the hammer, no one made me do that. That came out from inside of me. Somewhere inside of me, the pressure and pain of hammering my uh, finger three times, stuff was squeezed out of me that was a bit ugly. Now, I need to just put a few like clarifying comments around this. I was a Christian when I did this, right? I was a uh, practicing Christian serving at church. I was probably on the preaching team. Um, I was your local friendly child psychologist. And there I am speaking a foreign language and throwing things at a fence because I hammered my nail three times through no fault of anyone but my own. That behavior came from inside of me, and that was the hardest thing to get my head around. Now, I don't know if anyone else has had a similar situation to me. I'm sure you have. Maybe you weren't as foolish as me by hammering your nail three times in the same fashion, but I'm sure we can all think of times where something has been squeezed out of us, and we are surprised at the ugliness of it. Like, Where did that come from? And it's not even a where did that came from, it's a oh my goodness, that came from inside of me. That's from inside of me. Uh, Jesus said it uh, this way in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. When he quotes uh, a proverb from Proverbs 8.13, he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, from inside. Now this is an uncomfortable truth that we all have to face. All sorts of ugly and painful things can come flowing out of our hearts, even if you're a Christian. You can have been a follower of Jesus your whole life and still things get squeezed out of you. Ugly things. No matter how long you follow him for, there remains stuff in the depths of your heart. Because no matter how long you've been following Jesus for, you need him just as much now as you did when you started following him. Now, the Apostle Paul um, wrote about this uh, in this way um, in probably one of the most pained verses in the Bible. In Romans 7, he says this, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. This is the Apostle Paul writing this, the guy who planted most of the early Christian church. And if he's talking about these troubles with his heart, goodness gracious, what's it mean for the rest of us? I also like the way that this truth was put by um, another important uh, writer. That is the, the writer's DC Talk for all you early 90s church kids out there. I'm going to quote a bit of DC Talk. I won't sing it. I'm not going to do the rap from Jesus Freak. That's for another time. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can join in if you like. This isn't the quote I was going to say. We'll do it anyway. There was a man with a tat on his big fat belly and it wriggled around like mama lead jelly. It took me a while to catch what it said because I had a much rhythm of his... You're leaving me hanging here. <laughs> Everyone's sitting there like they don't know it. You do know it. Anyway, the quote that I was going to say was not from that song, from another one. From a, a song called In the Light, 
And the quote goes like this, What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behaviour, and this only serves to confirm my suspicion that I'm still a man in need of a saviour. So in keeping with this uncomfortable truth today, I've got an uncomfortable message for you. And that's okay. It was uncomfortable for me preparing it. Like I said, I'm not here sharing this from a position of superiority. I just wanted to give you a heads up. It's an uncomfortable message. But I think it's a good one. I know it's a good one. Today we're going to look at how following Jesus means that you are giving him permission to go to work on you for the rest of your life. Because that's what it means to have God's kingdom come within you. It means that you are giving permission to Jesus to go to work on you for the rest of your life. I probably need to clarify a a second here because I'm making it sound like it's a really bad thing. It's not. It's like most things in life. It's really, really good. It's just hard. It's a bit unpleasant, but it's good. It's worth it. An analogy I can think of is um, that of getting a splinter. Uh, So even those of you who maybe don't work with your hands, who work in an office, have probably had a splinter before. Maybe it was a rogue pencil or a rough edge on a drawer on a desk. But we've all had splinters. And they really hurt. (laughs) They do hurt. Not just for soft office hands, they just hurt. And part of the reason they hurt is because your body is letting you know that something has come into it that shouldn't be there. And so what happens is that in um, bad cases of splinters, you get an immune response around it and it swells and it gets inflamed and it aches. And sometimes there's pus that builds up, under, and this is good, isn't it? Pus that builds up <laughs> underneath it and starts to push it out. And, um, and it aches. It aches until you get it out. And so generally what happens is you realize that it's aching and you get a pin or you get some tweezers and you sort of pick the edge of it and then you grab it and you slide that thing out. And can I just say that there are few sweeter feelings in the whole world than the feeling you have when a splinter has just been taken out. It is a wonderful feeling. It's like your whole body just relaxes and there's endorphins and joy. It's amazing. I was going to use the example of a pimple, but I thought a splinter would be much nicer and people are more likely to nod and go, yeah, that's a nice feeling, rather than, yeah, I enjoy popping pimples. But it's the same principle, right? Something in your body that shouldn't be there is removed. There's a sense of joy. Now, this is a small and trivial example of what it is like to have the Holy Spirit work on something in your life. Sometimes we have things lodged in our hearts like bitterness or sadness or fear that have been in there so long we are almost numbed to the pain of it. But it's still there. And sometimes it gets bumped and pus and pain come oozing out. But when Jesus gets to it through his Holy Spirit, that bitterness, that sadness, that fear is removed with the skill of a surgeon. And we gain this movement, this relief, this healing, this freedom. Having Jesus work on your heart is painful, but in the end, it is so, so good for us. And that's what Jesus is offering us when he talks about his kingdom coming within us. Now, before I um, 
go much further. I want to clarify something. And that is that I'm not talking about salvation today. I'll just clear that up. You do not have to have it all together in order to be saved. You do not have to have it all together in order to be saved. I'll say it another way. Jesus loves you and will take you just the way you are. He will. He does. He did it for me. But we're going to camp here for a minute just to clarify this because I want this to be really sure and to sink in because all through history, this notion of God just accepting us and taking us as we are has been completely countercultural. Every other religion all through history has been works-based. You've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to get in your God's good books, whether that's following the eightfold path, generating enough good karma, following the four pillars, whatever it is, you've got to curry enough favor with God for him to have a look at you. And this uh, way of thinking has even permeated how we think about um, our relationships with each other. And that often we expect that somebody will do X, Y, and Z before we will reach out towards them. Human nature has always been this way. And our modern society is no different. There are standards that we put on ourselves or we put on others that have to be met in order to earn love and acceptance. All through history, it's been the same tune, just different lyrics. Like every single Nickelback or Pink song, same tune, different lyrics, just the same thing over and over again. But that's what history's been like with this whole idea of earning our way into God's good books and into the affection of others. Now, when I talk about Jesus working on our stuff, I want to keep us this in, this in mind. We've got to keep this in mind. We don't work on our stuff and then Jesus accepts us. It actually goes the other way around. Jesus accepts us and then he gets to work on our stuff. I'm going to say that again because some of you need to feel that a little bit more. Jesus accepts us and then he gets to work on our stuff. In Romans, it says it this way in chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't need to have things together even remotely in order to receive Jesus' love and acceptance. And if you've ever felt that you did, can I just say that I am so sorry that you have felt that way because it's just not true. Jesus has always loved you and he has always held out his arms towards you. Always. Jesus held out his hand to the woman caught in adultery before she was even thinking about changing her ways. Jesus touched the leper before he was clean. Jesus invited himself round for dinner to a criminal's place before he had changed his ways. Jesus called his disciples from their fishing boats before they were world changers. He called them while they were bad-tempered, potty-mouthed fishermen. What I'm talking about today in working on the ugly stuff in our lives is not a condition on whether or not Jesus will love you. Nor is it a condition on whether or not Jesus will forgive you and bring you home to be with him in eternity. You could remain in your mess and he will still love you. And he will still keep reaching out to you while you are still a sinner. However, 
what I'm talking about today certainly has an impact on the sort of life you'll lead and whether or not you get closer to being the sort of person God intends for you to be. And this is important. It doesn't get us into God's good books, but letting Jesus work on our stuff is important for both our lives and for the lives of those around us. And in the time I've got left, I'm going to explore those two things just briefly. How are you going with this one? Yeah? Is it okay? It's a bit harder, isn't it, thinking about our stuff? But you know what? When we're thinking about our stuff, when it comes to Jesus, we think about it with hope. We don't think about it with shame and despair and despondency, the stuff that the world would generate. We think about it with hope. Hope because we have a solution for our pain and our suffering and our dysfunction and our sin. Jesus had um, 12 disciples. And today I'm just going to look at two of them to look at this issue of letting God work on our hearts and transform our lives. I'm going to start with Peter. Now, Peter is probably the most documented of the 12 disciples, probably because he was um, so confident and impulsive. And I think he was one of those guys that, um, you know, in a nice way had a big mouth. Talk before he sort of think things through. And he had this sort of gregarious personality where people would follow him. And so there's a lot written about, about Peter because I think he was a pretty big character. But Peter, like every character in the Bible except for Jesus, had issues. And because we know a little bit about Peter, we know about some of his issues. Um, one of them was that he had a fear of rejection and persecution by other people. He was afraid of what other people thought. Now, the most vivid example of this is when uh, Jesus was arrested. And on the night he was arrested by the temple guards, Peter is confronted by some people in the community on three occasions and said, you're one of Jesus' followers. And at each time, out of fear, out of this fear that he has, he denies Jesus. And on the second and third time, he denies him so strongly and so emphatically, he gets back some of his fisherman swear words to emphasize his point. But this wasn't an issue that was just um, popped up at that point in his life. It also pops up later. In the book of Galatians, we read this exchange that happens between Peter and Paul, where Peter had decided to stop eating with some of the um, non-Jewish members of the church because of out of fear of what the Jewish members of the church would think about him. Again, this fear of others' opinions. And Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit and love for his friend, confronts him on this in a good, healthy way. Peter is still working on this issue. But the thing that I want to draw out here about Peter is that Peter lets the Holy Spirit work on his stuff. So on the beach one morning after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus asked Peter on three occasions, Do you love me? giving him one opportunity for every time that he denied him to uh, step out into a life of faith rather than fear. And when Peter relapses in Galatians and again acts out of the fear of other people, he's responsive to the Holy Spirit's prodding that's delivered through his friend Paul. Peter is a great example of how you don't have to have it all together to be loved and used by Jesus, but he's also a great example of how letting God work on your stuff opens up your life to be all that God created it to be. Peter went on to have a life where God used him mightily in many incredible ways. He went on to have a transformed life. Peter did not live under the weight of his heart's problems. He was freed. Now I want to look at another disciple now. 
And the disciple I want to look at is Judas. And I know that Judas is like a risky one to talk about because we all think that Judas is some sort of special case, you know? Judas is just one of those different breeds of people. He was a bit of a devil. There was something different with him, like, you know, like just those categories of people that we think are not really like us, not really people, like, you know, like those people you see at the beach walking dogs and strollers. You just think, there's something here, but you're just not like me. I don't know why, why that animal's in there. You're taking it for a walk, but it's sedentary. And any, anyway, can of worms. We can, we can write off Judas as, um, as just something different, something other. But I actually don't think that um, Judas was a devil. I think that he was actually a pretty good man. He followed Jesus. I think the difference between Judas and Peter is that Judas just didn't let Jesus work on the stuff in his heart. You remember Judas was um, part of and witness to all of Jesus' miraculous ministry. He sat through the Sermon on the Mount. He ate from the food that was miraculously multiplied to feed the 5,000. He was one of the ones that went around and collected all the bread and the fish. He saw Jairus' daughter raised to life. He was one of the disciples that was sent out in pairs to go and have miraculous signs and wonders done through him. He was there when Jesus calmed the storm with his words. He was there when demons ran screaming from Jesus into a herd of pigs and out into the ocean. And even more than this, he had close access to Jesus. Jesus was his friend. He would have sat with him around the campfire asking questions, exploring the mysteries of God. See, Judas had problems in his heart too, like we all do. One thing we know about Judas's heart was that he, he was a bit of a thief. He had a thing for money like many of us do. And his job was to take care of the money bag and he was, he was pinching from it. Now, one thing I know about Jesus is I'm pretty sure he knew about this. I don't think Jesus was blindsided by this. I think he knew. And the other thing I know about Jesus, I think he would have said something to Judas about it. I think he would have spoken to him. I think one night around the campfire, he would have probably said something to him, probably a couple of times. How are you going with that thing with money? Can I help you with that? Can I free you from that? But Judas doesn't let him. In fact, he becomes so offended at Jesus' love and grace that he lets this issue in his heart swell and puss up to a point where he ultimately chose to give into it rather than be freed of it. He chose serving money over his relationship with Jesus and sold his friend and his Messiah to be killed for a sum of money that worked out to be about $13,938 in today's currency, or four months of the minimum wage. That's what Jesus' life cost to him in the end. Rather than letting Jesus help Judas to overcome this issue in his life, the issue overcame Judas. The Bible is full of men and women like Judas. People with junk in their hearts. People like you and me. But what separates Judas from Peter or King David, or Moses, or Ruth, or Abel, or any of the greats of biblical history, is that Judas didn't let Jesus touch the junk in his heart. Judas didn't let Jesus transform his life. Both Peter and Judas had Jesus point to the sore spots in their heart. Both were equally loved. And for both men, for both men, 
Jesus died. But only one would let Jesus get to work on the junk that he had embedded in the depths of his heart. And it is the same choice that we have today as followers of Jesus. We can let him spend the rest of our lives working on the junk in our hearts, or we cannot. But if we don't let him, then we'll miss out, and the rest of the world will miss out, on seeing our lives being transformed by the grace of God. Okay, things are about to get heavier now, because I'm going to make another confession. Worse than a hammer one. But I'm going to try and do this confession without too much shame. And that is when I was at university, I did some work as a telemarketer. I was really passionate about wine memberships. Anyway, because of my experience as a telemarketer, when I get a phone call from a telemarketer, I try to be really kind and patient, right? Because I remember that that was a really hard slog. And that if someone was going to pay me to do something else, I probably would have done it in preference to doing the telemarketing. But that's where I was. And I wasn't trying to make people's lives miserable. So I try and be kind when a telemarketer calls me. However, they often call it dinner time, which is a really tricky time. And often I'm not thinking about changing my energy provider when I'm trying to set the kids up for dinner or to change my phone plan or whatever it might be. But I try and be patient and kind. But sometimes I've noticed out of desperation for a sale, that um, they can be a little bit pushy. You know, um, it'll be something like, you know, I'll say, oh, look, thank you so much for telling me about this new energy plan. If you can just email me some information, I'm happy to look at it. I'm just, I'm just sitting down for dinner with the kids. And sometimes, if there's a bit of desperation and push on the other end, I'll get something back like this. Well, don't you care about saving money on your power plan? Well, yeah, I do. I just just trying to sit up for dinner with the kids, that's all. Well, if you really loved your kids, you'd be trying to save money so you can provide for them. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, I'm trying, mate, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard doing all these things and balancing these things. Well, what sort of man are you? Are you, are you a man who takes action or are you a man who just sits there and lets, you know, bad things happen to your family? Look, hang on! Maybe it doesn't quite get that bad, but can I say, the times where I have been pressured, I've never then turned around and been like, yeah, you're right, here, have my credit card. Let me give you uh, all the details and, uh, and you can have whatever you want. Generally, people don't respond too favorably to that approach. I never have. I've never dropped everything and said, sorry, kids, this guy's just made a big point about me being a lousy dad from not changing my power plan. I just need to give him all my money. I've never done that. But, you know, sometimes... As Christians and as a church, uh, we can act a bit like a unhealthy, pushy telemarketer. Let me just explain what I mean. See, we can think that arguing and pressuring people is going to make them run to Jesus. It's not. I've yet to meet one person who has said to me that the reason that they came to follow Jesus is because a Christian argued with them and made them feel bad about not coming to church, so they decided to come. I've never met anyone who said that to me. That's not the way it works. See, people are attracted to Jesus by seeing him at work in our lives, not by us pretending we're perfect and then telling everyone that they should be more like what we're not actually like. 
And that means um, we should let God get to work on us. Sure, we can accept, accept Jesus' unconditional love and grace, and then you can never let him work on anything in your life ever again. We can do that if we want. But if we do, we will be a very unappealing example of the Christian life to the world around us. Or we can let Christ get to work on us in full view of those around us and let him do the convincing by showing what it is like to be daily transformed and changed by his amazing grace and love. To have a life that is being transformed. Do you want to know the most effective way to share with those around us the good news of Jesus? It's to show them what he's doing in your life. Just show them. That means showing them warts and all what's happening in your life, how God is changing and transforming you. I love this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. You might have heard of this before. It says this, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Your friends and family and colleagues and workmates and neighbours, they already know what you're really like. If you're not sure, ask them. They already know about a lot of your worst bits. They don't need us acting like know-it-alls, lecturing them about their behaviour. What they do need to see is Jesus transforming our own lives. They'll notice that. You know, sometimes I feel we need to get a little bit more of a perspective about how good God is. One of the ways we do that is by recognising how much he's worked on in our lives. I just love that time of worship we had before, just focusing on how great our God is. Because the God that we serve is a God who transforms our lives. A God who can take anybody, anybody, and completely transform them. Our God is not an idea. He's not an ideal. Our God is real and living and able to transform the one thing in history that humans have never been able to get on top of, our hearts. He is the God who can take a heart that is gripped with fear and bring it peace. He is the God who can take a heart that is filled with bitterness and bring about forgiveness. The God who can take a heart that is bound in addiction and set it free. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we worship. And that is the God that we need to make sure the rest of the world is getting a good look at as he works on our lives. When we don't let people see what he can do for us, then uh, we do one of the greatest disservices we can do for them, not just for us. They miss out on seeing what our God is like. So for both our sake and the sake of the world around us, let's let God transform our lives. Let's let the kingdom of God come within us and let's be transformed. This is a hard thing to ask, but it's worthwhile like that splinter. It's good for us and it's good for the world around us because it becomes less about us and more about God. Let me close your eyes. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have a time of worship and give you a chance to respond. I don't know what God wants to work on in your heart. I've got no idea. I have enough, have a hard time working out what he wants to work on in me or where he wants to start, at least. There's a lot there. But uh, I'm just going to believe that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to each of us about the things in our hearts that um, he wants to work on. 
not because he's mean and picking on us, but because he wants to bring us life and life in all its fullness. And he wants to show us and the world around us how great and amazing and powerful a God he is. So Jesus, thank you that you do work on us, Lord. You love us, you save us just as we are. All we have to do is acknowledge we're sinners, acknowledge that you have died and risen again for our sin, and that's it. We're yours. But God, I thank you too that in addition to that, you want to work on all the stuff that's inside of us. You want to bring us healing, bring us wholeness. And you want to show both us and the world around us how great you really are. So God, I just ask you to give us a bit of boldness this morning to actually ask you, God, what is it in my heart you want to work on? And be okay with that. Knowing that it is painful in the short term, but in the long term, it brings so much freedom, so much joy, and so much glory to your name, Lord. Holy Spirit, just work in our hearts now. Show us what it is you want to change, what you want to do. We trust you, God. You're a great, great God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.